Almighty God, we confess that we are a people of unclean lips. We live among a people of lies. But you are the God of truth. And it is only truth that sets people free. So we beg you that you will open your text today and change us. That we, that we can walk out of here as better truth tellers than we were when we came in. Because of your spirit. Because of your text. Because of what you do in our lives. We ask nothing less than change to truth. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Come on in. I will never forget <clears throat> the first time, the first time I ever listened and talked with friends all night long. Conversation lasted all night long. How many of you ever done that? You had a conversation just went all night long, like a Lionel Richie song. Okay, all night. Um, my situation, I was one of four college guys living in an apartment off campus. Uh, one weekend, we came home late after an awesome night of ultimate Frisbee out under the lights, and as we were lying on the living room floor and catching our breath and drinking water, we got into a great conversation. Now, we were college guys, so we started by talking about girls, of course. And, uh, but then the conversation developed more into some of our plans and our dreams and our hopes. And then deep in the night, the, the conversation turned. You, you've probably experienced this. I, I later would find out this is almost universal among Christians. The conversation shifted to, to what it was like to have an amazing Lord a God who held and shaped our lives. And as we thought about this awesome God, and each guy talked about what God was doing in his life, the, the stories just began to pour forth. One, one guy told about how God took him off a really stupid path. And another guy told the incredible story of how his mom was just miraculously healed. God healed her. And, and, and the third guy, Matt, he, he started talking about the insufficiency of self-sufficiency, which was a very deep idea for a 20-year-old kid. But he was talking about how he was learning what it was like to rely on Jesus every moment of every day and about how only that is enough. Now, without knowing the word for it, what we were doing was we were engaging in a very important activity that night. We were testifying. That's what we were doing. We were sharing testimony, which means we were telling truth. We we're telling truth about God, truth about his word, truth about his work. And the Psalms are full of such testimonies because our lives are supposed to be full of testimonial. Do you know that? Your life, my life, are supposed to be full of testimony. In fact, nearly every psalm has some form of praise for God's, for God's provision or his healing or his direction. A few psalms are nothing but testimonies. They're, they're timeless summaries of what all God's people have experienced throughout history, what God's people need to experience again today what you need to experience and I need to experience. Open your Bible, please, to Psalm 30, and let's, let's learn about testimony from David. David's going to teach us about testimony here. Psalm the 30th, a psalm, a dedication song for the house Davidic. I will exalt you, Lord, because you've lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, <clears throat> and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. That, that's a Hebrew word for the place of the dead. You brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. Sing to Yahweh, you faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but there is joy in the morning. 
When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, that's how he said it, too. I don't know if you know that. Um, Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain, but when you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What, what gain is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen to me, gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth, a symbol of mourning, and you clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. All God's people said? In, in your notes, uh, there inside your bulletin, you'll see we capitalize a few principles from this psalm. These are universal ideas in the testimonial psalms. In fact, these are ideas that also appear in other testimonials throughout Scripture. The first is, first thing is truth-telling is foundational. The, the reason we tell awesome stories about God and His work is such stories ground us in the truth. And truth is the only trustworthy foundation for a life. Just look, look, look at the introduction to the psalm. Now, you probably know, some of these introductions were added later in Hebrew history, but they're all still really fascinating. Uh, and this one, uh, this particular introduction, if we literally translated the Hebrew, which you don't want to do because no two languages line up word for word, but if you did literally translate, here's what it would say word for word. A psalm song, music for the dedication or consecration of the house of David. Now, the house is likely not the, the temple in Jerusalem, although some Bibles translate it that way. Bayit is more general. It just means home. It means dwelling. I agree with the translators who render the, the Hebrew here, dedication song for the house. Because, guys, this is what a home must be founded on. A home must be founded on telling truth about God. Thousands of people are moving to our area every year seeking a good home life. They come because you seem to have what they understandably want. You have strong jobs. You have good schools, safe neighborhoods. You have great public spaces, a nice sense of community. And while all that's fine, good even, somebody needs to love those people coming enough to tell them the truth. And the truth is that a real home, a lasting dwelling, is not founded on any of those things. A home and a life worth having is consecrated on one thing and one thing only, God's truth. In fact, North Texas only has all those good things, jobs and schools and, and safety and community, because a large number of people before us founded their homes on God's truth. And if that foundation ever goes away, so will all the nice things. In a moment, we're going to see that exact scenario played out for David. First, let's note that truth-telling exalts God. Go, go back to verse 1. I will exalt whom, everybody? You, Lord. I will exalt you. Right off the bat, we run into serious conviction. Look, real stories, real testimonies focus on God's wonders. They exalt the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God who loves and upholds his people. Now, I don't know about you, but I, in contrast to David, I tend to make myself the focus of all my stories. In our idiotic insecurity, most humans tend this way. We make ourselves the subject of nearly every sentence, desperately afraid that if we don't exalt ourselves, no one will. It's a particularly heinous bit of lunacy for people who have a saving relationship with God. He is the covenant Yahweh, the one who cannot and will not break his promise to exalt and glorify us with him forever. And yet we act as if our best glory is secured by making ourselves the subject of every sentence. We show this in a multitude of ways. We show it in our complaints, our social media posts, in our protests. Everything, this is who we are. Everything has to be exactly the way we want it or we're going to make a huge fuss. 
That's who we are. And we then wonder why people don't worship well. It's, it's pretty clear, isn't it? We don't worship well because nobody can exalt themselves and the Lord. There's only room for one on the throne. Only one. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know in that, um, in that Star Wars Trade Federation voice that you like to use in the privacy of your own head, you're saying, Princess Amidala. You're saying, Pastor, how can a person exalt God instead of self? How can you learn to do this? Thank you so much for asking. It's an excellent question. I'm so glad you asked. The answer is focus on Yahweh all the time. Keep thinking and telling truth about him. Focus on him so much that his scripture naturally peppers your daily thoughts, your daily words, your prayers. Colossians chapter 3 tells us this. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Close quote. Last week, I was chatting with Dan Bolin. He's one of our church missionaries, and he reminded me of Charles Spurgeon's comment about setting our eyes on God's exaltation. Spurgeon, the, the, the wonderful 19th century uh, preacher, he said this, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. Close quote. If you want to be a truth teller, if you want to make a solid foundation for your life and positively influence others, you have got to start with, I exalt you, Lord, not, not me. Next, David progresses further. I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. Truth-telling relates God's provisions. All right, now, <clears throat> two great provisions for which David praises Yahweh here, rescue and, and healing. The rescue mentioned in verse 1 seems to be physical in this particular context. But you know, guys, the concept also applies to the spiritual. God has provided rescue from enemies, physical and spiritual, and, and David teaches us to exalt the Lord for that. And verses 2 and 3 describe the provision of healing. The great physician has made David well. He's rescued him from death. Now, that is not to suggest that David thinks this is just a one-and-done situation. Later in the psalm, we're going to see this is an ongoing process. David is always in some kind of need, and God is always the great provider. Last week's All the Difference Bible Study, I quoted a poem by Robert Robinson. He wrote this in 1757 when he was 22 years old. Robinson wrote this. Sorrowing I shall be in spirit till released from flesh and sin. Yet from what I do inherit, here my praises I'll begin. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come. Really insightful poetry. We often sing that song. It's titled, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. By the way, Ebenezer is a Hebrew word. It means to remember. I summarize it that way. It's a deep word, but just remember. It's a memory tool. It is, it is a testimony to God's provision. Throughout the Bible, God commands Israel to set up these altars and stones and other Ebenezer so people will see and remember, remember the testimony of how God has provided. Now think, when Israel did this, when they, when they praised God's provision with their Ebenezers, they were declaring both God's greatness and their own mission, right? Yahweh kept them alive for purposes, not the least of which was to testify to God's kindness. So how has God provided for you? Uh, let me just ask this. 
Anybody here sick last winter? Ra raise your hand. Really high. Raise your hand. Keep it. If you were sick this last winter, if you got sick this last raise them up really high. Let me see. Okay, awesome. I'll assume, you can put your hands down. I'll assume by the fact that you were here and able to raise your hand, you were healed. Right? That's a fairly safe assumption, I think. Apparently, God healed you. Wonderful, wonderful. I got a question for you. Did you thank him? Did you fill out a, a, a praise card that's, that's in your bulletin and drop it in the offering plate so the church prayer came, could praise God with you for his healing? Often we don't thank God. We're really a lot like the nine lepers that Jesus healed who didn't come back to give thanks. When we are physically or spiritually rescued, when we are healed, we should use that as a platform from which to tell the truth about God's mercy. Um, let me show you an example of what we should do with our healing. I, I invited, since these psalms are about testimonies, I invited Jessica Anders into the office, and uh, we did hear some excerpts from an interview we did about how we use healing to testify to truth. From what I've been told uh, by doctors, um, when I was born, I had holes in my heart, and I had a bivalve instead of a trivalve, so blood wasn't flowing the way it should have been, um, which put me in great peril. And so they had to do a, a lot of surgeries, um, an open heart surgery and several others to be able to fix those um, issues. And then I also caught pneumonia while I was in the hospital, so that extended my stay there and uh, caused them to have to put um, a great amount of air into my lungs to keep them working. And so there was a lot of complications, but God was really gracious and I had amazing doctors and surgeons and a lot of prayers from a lot of people. and. Um, I was healed completely. Um, it's very humbling to know that you've been shown that kind of mercy and grace um, by God and, and given that kind of care by people. Um, it gives you a greater urgency to find um, your, your drive, your purpose uh, for why you're here. You know you're here for a purpose, you know you're here for something um, that, that you're intentional. That, that get, you're not a mistake, that God was very purposeful in the time that he put you here and in the place that he put you and, um, and that he has things for you to do and you want to be about those things. I think the first instance I can remember was in elementary school when a, a co PE coach found out. Um, they, they looked at my trach scar and they asked and so I told them a bit of my story. And uh, it was great because they didn't make me run as many laps as the other kids, which was awesome. Um, but it also opened an opportunity for me to be able to talk to that coach about what was going on in my life. And I was able to just be genuine that I was a Christian and I believed that um, God had used all these wonderful modern medicine and, and doctors to be able to save my life. And um, I didn't see him come to Christ or anything, but it opened those those uh, pathways of conversation and later when I was in sixth grade I got to go to Africa and miracles are just such an accepted part of their culture that it really opened a lot of doorways for me to be able to share the gospel with them and see people come to Christ and and give their lives to the true healer that really could change everything for them. Amen. Jessica is correct. People all over the world, people are moved by other people's true stories. Looking at verse 4, go to verse 4. Sing to Yahweh, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. The headline on the right side of our notes captures or tries to capture the shift in our text here. Truth-telling is contagious. Notice how David now switches from a, a personal story to an interactive dialogue with other people, and he's calling for all of us to praise God with him. That is the natural response. I mean, surely you have experienced this. It's one of the best parts about church. 
You, you, you go to church or your Bible study or your life group and you hear an awesome story. You hear a great testimony about what God is, is doing in somebody's life. What do you do? You, natu- you start praising God yourself. You're moved by the greatness of God in your brother or sister's life. It's awesome. I, I recently read a Nathaniel Hawthorne piece I had I'd never read before. 1844, article Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote about a Brit named Robert Rakes. Robert Rakes. He's the man who invented Sunday school, which seems kind of weird. Do you ever think somebody invented Sunday school? It didn't exist before him. Um, and, and Hawthorne's story about Rakes is just is majestic, very moving. So many lives were changed through Sunday school. So many children rescued from sin and, and poverty, from literal gutters, that, that Hawthorne couldn't help praising God himself for what he saw. Look, just look at the first sentence of his piece. The piece, by the way, is titled A Good Man's Miracle. Hawthorne said, In every good action there is a divine quality which does not end with the completion of the particular deed, but goes on to bring forth good works in an infinite series. When you read the article, you'll, you'll see that Hawthorne understood that truth-telling, like, like good works, is just contagious. One person's great story just leads to another, 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 another. Now, that doesn't mean the testimonies are just a surface mob mentality, okay? It, it doesn't mean that we're just repeating praise without deep thought. In fact, truth-telling, truth-telling dives beneath platitudes. Go, go to verse 5, look. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night. Weeping may spend the night, but there is joy in the morning. Notice that God's psalm makes no attempt to duck the reality of weeping. David knows that there are nights when heartbreak is real. However, weeping is put into the context of God's overarching abundance, right? His blessed favor continues for a lifetime. And every day we wake up in his presence with his joy before us. Again, Nathaniel Hawthorne spoke really wisely about this in that Rake's story I told you about. Look what he said. He said, if he, God, should turn away his eyes for a single instant, people will be lost in the flood of evil that continually surrounds them, close quote. That is very well said. Testimony isn't just some Pollyanna pretense. Truth is, truth is, there is evil all around. But the full truth also notes that God never turns away his eyes, and he always sees his people through. Amen? I asked another friend, I asked Carl Bryant to come share a testimony about how this, how verse, how verse 5 played out in his life during a very dark night of weeping. Listen to Carl's story. Well, in uh, 2006, um, we lost both my mom and my little sister to cancer in a matter of four months. The, the biggest thing that, that I wrestled with with the Lord was, was trusting Him. Um, you know, we had prayed fervently that the Lord would heal both of them. And we believed, especially with respect to, to Kathy and my younger sister, that He would. And then when he didn't, um, you know, I really, really struggled with, with trusting him and with um, just believing that, that he was for me, not against me. Well, I think over time, it did, it did take some time uh, and some counseling um, to really be able to look back and see God's grace through that. Um, the fact that he took both of them, freed them from pain, uh, freed them from, you know, the sin and trials of this world, and, uh, and then really took us to a position where, you know, to, to really focus on the fact that it's not, it's not our plans. You know, just to really learn that, um, you know, that trusting Him is not easy. It's very difficult. It can be painful. 
But when you look back and you see the kind of the results of that trust and that belief, you know, it's, it's worked out for, for our goodness and, and for everybody else's. Amen. Though there was weeping, Carl, like, like David, found God to be more than enough. You, you, you hear it in their stories. You know why? Because truth-telling always exposes a person's source of confidence. Truth-telling always exposes one's source of confidence. Look, look at verses 6 through 10. When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What is there to gain in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. In verses 6 and 7, David depicts what he was like when he thought he had it all together. He was on top of the world. He saw himself as unshakable. But in reality, what was he doing? He was relying on the flesh. His confidence was in himself, like Israel under the judges or the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. Thank goodness we're never like that, right? <laughs> Thank goodness we're never confident primarily in self. And yet we sometimes are. I have heard words just like David in, in, in verse 6. I have heard that in many shallow testimonies over the years. Many. You know why? Because that's what happens when we start talking. Once people start talking, they inevitably and always expose their source of confidence. And here's one statement. Let me just show you one statement that always seems to come up when somebody's confidence is in himself and not in the Lord. They'll say something like this. They'll say something like, God is an important part of my success. Right? Listen to yourself when you're speaking. Listen to your stories. If you hear some form of that, some form of I'm in charge, I'm the center of the universe, and God is merely something that I add to my life in order to be more successful, please repent right away. David didn't until God hid his face, and then he was terrified. Now, we don't know what form this took. David's poetry could be describing a thousand different ways whereby God withdrew his blessing. So sometimes this is a material loss. Other times it's spiritual. But regardless of the form, God used chastisement to get David's attention. I love this application written by John Calvin almost 500 years ago, but I think it still speaks very powerfully today. Look what Calvin wrote. He said, here David confesses that after he was deprived of God's gifts, this served to purge his mind from the disease of perverse confidence. In the broad light of prosperity, it is necessary that we be violently shaken in order to drive away the delusions which absolutely stupefy us with a soothing infatuation. And if David had need of such a remedy, let us not presume that we are endued with so good a state of heart as to render it unprofitable for us to be in want in order to remove from us this carnal confidence which would otherwise suffocate us. Close quote. Thankfully, God loves us enough to keep us from suffocation. He uses pain. He uses want to teach us the difference between self-confidence and trusting in God. It was David's son, Solomon, who passed on to us the right way to live by confidence in the Lord alone. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Read it with me. You take the underlying text. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right paths. Don't consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body 
and strengthening for your bones. Thank you. David changes. Look, look, he learns to shun self-reliance. His testimony proves it. David started finding his confidence in Yahweh. You be my helper, not me. Yahweh instead of self. That's why he changes his tune. He cries out with the right mindset about exalting the Lord. And, and by the way, if David's tone seems odd to you in verses 9 and 10, rest assured, this, this does not seem to be manipulation. This is genuine focus on Yahweh. He is crying out the truth, the true statement, that, that rescue of me will bring praise to you. I asked one more friend to come to my office this week and record a, a, a testimony that I could share with you. I want to share you with, with you some selections from my conversation with Pastor Ken Bergstedt. And it was a conversation about self-reliance versus God-reliance. Look at what Ken had to say. <clears throat> oh, sorry. There you go. Well, I was a solo pastor for most of my career. So I was the go-to guy and the complaint department. Um, but it played out in my career with the need for God to work in people's lives through me. I was a very shy teenager, and so the idea of preaching and leading was just totally foreign to me. So I relied on the gifts of the Spirit when I learned what mine were to actually accomplish the work. Uh, when I saw this opportunity, I thought about my sufficiency was of Christ, what Paul said. And the treasure that I had in this vessel of clay was to show that the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. So when I look back, I think about how God worked through me to help others. It's just amazing. I think that there's actually a peace, as I've thought about this, that comes from it, it doesn't depend on me. That God is saying, I want to use you to, to help somebody. Amen. God does want to use you to help somebody. He wants you to tell the truth. Let's read the last two verses. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Sackcloth, by the way, is a, a very, very old-fashioned form of mourning. You turned it and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Truth-telling releases us to rejoice forever. It's sad. It is so sad how, how people often mistake biblical seriousness with being dour, right? Somberness rules these human beings who mistakenly equate seriousness with always frowning. David's testimony is very serious. This is serious truth. Yes, he is entirely aware of his own ugliness and a world filled with sin, but he still can't help laugh and sing about God's greatness. He can't help it. My old acquaintance, Bob Bennett, wrote a wonderful poem about this. Look what Bob wrote. He said, in the middle of this madness, I'm dancing. I know there's evil all around, but for now it's outside and I'm in my room and joy is like a crashing tide. A song came this morning and woke me, and as I listened, then I found that I was not alone. I was standing, moving, dancing, dancing on holy ground. When we recognize the good things God has done for us, how he, how he changes all our sackcloth into gladness. How, how he restores us. How he meets us in our need. You know what happens? We cannot help but rejoice. In the middle of the madness, we find ourselves dancing. And it's one of the ways we tell truth. Let, let's do this. Let's do this. Um, 
Here, do this with me. If you have, if you have ever been healed of anything, stand up. Just set your stuff down and stand up. If, if you have found God worthy of your confidence, stand up. If you've overcome some sin or some mistake in your life because of Jesus Christ's atoning work, stand up. If you have found God and his word to be a comfort that is much deeper than mere platitudes, stand up. Wonderful. All right, let's all stand together. Let's be unafraid to exalt God together. Amen? Let's sing together. Let's worship.
sing it out. Our Lord, 